Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, a pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm rejoicing inside to be talking about Christ in the Old Testament, just just as a subject. I, you don't even know what a what a rest. We talked it is. about the angel of the Lord. We already did that whole. Remember that one? Yes, I yes I do. I remember that the one that I I twisted your arm into doing. Yep, yep, and it was uh, it was helpful. It's good. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I mean convincing. that, but it I just I, I tell you this week I'm so done. Uh, I'm on kind of a camp hangover. I've been at camp since Sunday. Got home last night. I'm pretty. Oh man. I'm, I've been drinking a lot of coffee and water this There's morning. No kind of tired like camp tired. I'm telling you, man. Uh, you know, abortion's been in the news. Ukraine's been in the news. The missionary that was at our camp this week is from Ukraine. So there's a lot of footage and talking about that every day. It's just good to sit down and talk about Christ. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so good. It's yeah. so good. You're preaching yeah. through the. I'm preaching through Proverbs this summer. You're preaching through Psalms. Yeah. And your last week was Psalm 34, and yeah. you had some pretty pointed application in regards to Christ in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Someone's picking up Psalms for the first time, you know, as just an example of the Old Testament. Mm. Why? Why? I mean, why think about Jesus in the Psalms on on a on an overall level? And Jesus, and maybe maybe even Jesus in the Old Testament, isn't isn't this a story about Israel? Aren't these David songs? Isn't um, this telling me, you know, teaching me what to do, how to live, how to sing? Isn't this touching into my emotions and giving me expression for my feelings and my emotions? Mm-hmm. You know, my saddest days, my dark. Isn't this helping me know what to pray and how to pray? What what is the big deal in regards to Christ in the yeah. Old Testament? Christ in Psalms. Well, this is like the hard. This is the hard part about reading Psalms, I think, and for a lot of Christians, even just reading the Old Testament, is um, that you you're not David, and that's. <laughs> I think that it, the natural reaction to reading the Psalms, reading David's um, prayers or his, you know, deliveries out of the hands of the evil one and things like that, and you know the Lord delivers the righteous, and um, I think though the the natural reaction, the first reaction we have when reading those is to take it as a direct promise to me, God is going to deliver me out of the hand of the the evil one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then I think the correction to that, the danger to the correction is none of these have anything to do with you. And that's not true either. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're in the Old Testament. We're seeing David obviously as the uh, son of God, not in the sense that Jesus is the son of God, but the son of God in that he is the appointed king over the nation of Israel. And so, in that sense, there is a connection between the king of God's kingdom and God Himself. And it's sort of a father-son type relationship. Mm -hmm. And David, um, 
is sort of the prototype, if you will, of the ultimate Christ to come. And so he, David, experiences these um, moments of, you know, where where the Lord uh, responds to him, especially in a way that he doesn't respond to the pagan nations and the king, the pagan kings. Mm-hmm. And and I think uh, and so David, you know writes these down and demonstrates, you know, the Lord responds to the righteous. He responds to his king. He responds to um, his people. And and so our, I think we naturally kind of immediately jump to an application to us, but I think we have to first say that David is experiencing this as king of Israel, um, you know, as a specially appointed title and role. And over and against the pagan nations around him, mm-hmm. you know. But what we also have to acknowledge is that the rest of the Old Testament does give us insight into David's history and his life, and that he's failed spectacularly mm-hmm. in a multitude of ways, right? Yeah. And he, you know, he, um, you know, obviously adultery attempted murder you know his sons were crazy and um did a lot of awful things ran him out of his own kingdom and things like that and um and so you know he 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 failed to do uh and to live out what was really required of the law and his story in many ways is our story too in that there's there's not a law we could appropriately fulfill and so we don't see the actual fulfillment of what, you know, what the law expected of David, what the law expected of the nation of Israel until we get to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the important thing, I think, the hard part, and this is kind of the thing that I was trying to drive home, was that when you read Psalms, and this is the hard part, is you have to say when he's calling out, you know, the Lord saves his righteous, the Lord, you know, and especially in this particular Psalm, in Psalm 34, he's making so many promises that like, if you fear the Lord, then he will always rescue you and no bones will be broken and all these kinds of things. The New Testament says that Jesus is that person. Jesus was that righteous person. He was the one that didn't falter. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that was delivered. He is the fulfillment of that passage of what mm-hmm. David is talking about there. What David could only aspire to be and what he experienced in small, you know, glimpses, Jesus experienced to the full. And so we now have the benefit of the blessings of this psalm by virtue of our inclusion in Christ who fulfilled it. Mm-hmm. and who received all the benefits. He shares those benefits with us, not because of our own doing, but because of his. And so that's the, I think, the the difficult l- landscape to navigate, I think, mm-hmm. you know, in the Psalms. And what makes it really challenging to read, I think, and, and mm-hmm. for that matter, the whole Old Testament, it makes it a bit of a challenge because we, we naturally want to read that's ourselves. But then you get to the imprecatory Psalms where, <laughs> where David's praying, that the Lord would attack his enemies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so if you do that, then you're sitting there in your living room going, okay, who are my enemies? Let me see how, how can, how can mm-hmm. I pray that the Lord would pick up a javelin and, you know, spear my enemies. Yeah. 
which I, I think we could do an entire episode just on the imprecatory psalms and how For they're sure. how they're used and what they mean. Which I'm preaching them next week. So if you want to, so if you want to make that this episode, <laughs> <laughs> you want to do that now. Help me write my sermon. If you hear keyboard clicks in the background, that's just uh, me taking notes. <laughs> yeah, I. It's so good. I mean, that's that's the. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get to the Matt Chandler quote, you know. Oh, man. Um, what you see in the Bible is this is from Genesis to Revelation, the, the story of the Bible, that God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. So this is what you've got to get. I want to try to help you here with something that's pretty big, pretty epic. All right, so look right at me. The Bible's not about you. Bible's about Jesus. See, there's two ways to kind of look at it. There's some people that go, this Bible's the roadmap to life. Now, I understand what they're saying. So if you've heard that from your guy, great. Uh, th- this is in some ways uh, a roadmap of what we should do, where we should go. What, but, but ultimately, you can't call it the roadmap to life. All right, now, I want to be straight. There's some maps. <laughs> there are some maps. Like right here, I've got Paul's first missionary journey. And then I believe that's the Temple Mount. And then this is just... It's the Middle East today. Uh, So there are maps back there, but ultimately it's not the roadmap to life. And if you think that way, you'll read the Bible wrong. Uh, What you'll do is you'll keep, now let me, here's what you, you'll keep infusing yourself into the stories of the Bible like you're the hero. This happens all the time. All right, so I I mean, I want to be straight. I love you enough to be straight. You're not David. All right, you're Trouble in life is not Goliath. And if that's true, you're in a lot of trouble, bro, because you miss. Uh, you fling your stones and you miss, and Goliath's still there. And now what? Well, I had five. You'll miss all five. So if you view the scriptures through that lens, that really all the superheroes in the Bible are actually you, then, man, you put a weight on your shoulders that, listen to me, you will not be able to bear. Jesus, David, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Abraham. It's a whole point of the book of Hebrews. That Jesus is the greater than. So, I mean, that, that quote, <laughs> has, it, it needs to be on a coffee mug. Uh, th- yes. this, is the, this is the Christian t-shirt material right here. The, yeah. Well, um, that's what I'm getting at, right? Like, when you read... David and Goliath, how many sermons have been preached that you need to tackle your giants or God's tackling your giants or whatever, like God was going to empower you to tackle your giants? Yeah. That is not even close to what's going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, yep. in David and Goliath. But, but all the, I bet, I bet you, I bet you probably 98% of the sermons preached on on that passage mm-hmm. are about something to do with that tackling your giants mm-hmm. you know yeah or the the five stones are you know love joy peace faith courage yeah something oh, else i hadn't heard that. that one but that doesn't surprise me yeah yeah so when you when you open the psalms when you open the old testament what you're saying is we should be looking and we should have we need we need, shouldn't even be looking but we should have the structure and the lens that there are types of Christ in the Old Testament, that Christ is the point of the Old Testament, 
and that these figures, Moses, David, Abraham, to be examples, are the kind of figureheads that represent what Christ is going to actually do. Christ is going to fulfill what they typified in their ministry to the people of Israel. Mainly we're, not, we're talking about David in the Psalms. So that the way W.S. Plumer says it, he says the great key to the interpretation of the Psalms respecting David and Solomon is found in 2 Samuel 7. It's not yeah. found in the Psalms. You, yeah. you, Which you, is the Davidic covenant. That's Right. You have the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 where David is promised an heir is going to be on his throne and reign forever. And then I think it's really helpful what Plumer says next. He says, where God gives a clear promise that the seed of David should reign forever. In no sense can that promise be made good except in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, the Jews must have understood David, their prince, to have been a figure of the Messiah. They would not otherwise have made his psalms a part of their daily worship, nor would David have delivered them uh, to the church to be so employed were it not to instruct and support them in the belief of this. Was the Messiah not concerned in the psalm? It, if the Messiah was not concerned in the psalms, it would be absurd to celebrate twice a day in their public devotions the events of one man's life who was deceased so long ago as to have no relation now to the Jews and the circumstances of their affairs or to transcribe whole passages from them into their prayers for the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. If, if all the psalms are about David... Well, David's dead. He's not yeah. conquering any more enemies. He's not Peter coming. makes that point in his sermon, doesn't he? He's like, the Lord said to my Lord, come sit at the right hand. Well, David's dead. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. David is dead, dead, dead. But Jesus has risen. Right. And he and is alive. He was on his throne. He was David's son. Right. Yeah. But I think that's so helpful when we go, immediately go to the Psalms. These are not... David's sample, you know, exemplary psalms for us to sing from a first-person perspective. Right. We put them in our hearts, we put them in our mouths, and we sing them to God from us. Right. Rather, David sang them from his office as king mm -hmm. in the covenant that someone's going to reign on this throne forever— and when Jesus showed up, he says, no, I'm going to sing those songs with my life. Right. And, and David, Perfect to be clear, them. David is experiencing the blessings of being king of God's kingdom mm -hmm. in part. Mm -hmm. He is experiencing what it is like to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. But... He also is experiencing what it's like to be a fallen man. Mm -hmm. And so he's sort of got, it's more like he's got, you know, a foot. He's got his whole body in our camp, but he can see across what it's like mm -hmm. to receive the kind of blessings, you know, that Jesus would ultimately uh, see. Mm -hmm. Where, but, and, and so it's, it's, we're in that. So you have to say, like, well, in Psalm 34, like, David has been rescued. I mean, the, the setting of Psalm 34 happens in First, Sam, um, First Samuel 21, where he 
you know, acts like a crazy man in front of Achish, and he's spared, his life is spared uh, there in Philistine territory, and they don't kill him. And Achish sort of dismisses him, and he's like, this is just a crazy guy. And David mm-hmm. is overwhelmed that the Lord has spared his life in this, you know, situation. And so he's seeing the importance of his office, you know, as to, to the Lord, that the Lord has spared him mm-hmm. as a result of the place that he holds in Israel, simply because the Lord wanted to. He's gracious. But, and so he's getting glimpses of that. But it's not until we get to Jesus that he's getting the, the fullness of it because his his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so th- I think that's, you know, it, it's, it makes it challenging, makes it difficult. But I think that's essentially what Plumer is getting at. Yeah, and it, it certainly takes the, the weight of works off of us when we read yeah. the Psalms. Yes. That I'm supposed to read the Psalms... And my, my first and final thought is go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. And the Psalms, instead of being a wonderful, freeing, freeing expression of the gospel that Christ is the king who gave his life for me to overcome my enemies, to wash me from my sin, to give me reason to praise and thank God in any and every circumstance, instead of that, the Psalms become a weight on my shoulders. How could of I course. possibly keep? How could I sing those things? Yeah. How could I trust the word like that? How yeah. could I possibly get my sin all wiped away? How could I? Yeah. How how what what does it mean? Like we talk about the imprecatory prayers, praying for the uh, the damnation of your, your enemies. It it doesn't it doesn't make sense. But more than that, it becomes an, an unbearable burden. Yeah. And you realize, I'm not as good as the Psalms. I mean, listen to this. This is exactly what you're saying here. Listen to this. Psalm 34, starting in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So that's a great, that's a great promise. And mm-hmm. so he says, fear the Lord. And then in 11, he says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to tell you what, how to do it. What mm-hmm. man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? You like a long life? You want to see good? Okay, here it is. Fear the Lord. Here, I'm going to tell you how it is. 13, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And you read that and you go, and, and our first reaction is, okay, I got to take notes on this. Bullet point one: If I wanna, if I want a long life, if I wanna have no, I wanna have no lack, I wanna, you know, not suffer want, hunger, and all these kinds of things. Then, then what am I supposed to do? Fear the Lord. Underneath that subpoint, um, keep my tongue from evil. Subpoint mm-hmm. two: And my lips from speaking deceit. Uh, subpoint three: Turn away from evil. Subpoint four: Do good. Subpoint five: Seek peace and pursue it. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, okay, I just got to do these things. And you're going to find yourself coming up short every single day from those things. Mm-hmm. And until you realize that it's Jesus who is the righteous one in this passage, who does this, who fears the Lord, who seeks, who keeps his tongue from evil, who keeps his lips from speaking deceit, who pursues peace, um, pursued it to the cross— we get down to the end of this psalm in verse 20. He, he The result of the, the righteous person fearing the Lord is he keeps all his bones as the Lord keeps all his bones. 
not one of them is broken. Which John then will say, that was Jesus when they refused to break his legs on the cross. So he's, he's taking that righteous person, John is, and saying the righteous person of Psalm 34 was Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the one that did that. And now I gain the benefits of fearing the Lord for Christ's righteousness for me rather than mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. So it's then it becomes freeing, but it's yeah. only then that it becomes freeing is yeah. in Christ. Yeah, it's like Tim Keller said in his sermon, the gospel, I think it's gospel from 30 or 50,000 feet. It's stuck in my head, and I remember hearing it. The gospel takes the burdens off. And just simply, you know, that's, that's not the entirety of all that the gospel means, but the emphasis is this. The gospel takes the burden of obedience for the sake of gaining God's favor. It takes it off your shoulders, and it puts it on on Christ. And... That, that's the only way you can read the Psalms happily. You're right. Right. It, it just, it's, you, otherwise it's both confusing and, and burdening. Yeah. And to think uh, we, that when, when you yeah. get to those imprecatory Psalms, that I was an enemy of God. Mm-hmm. And this, I would be the recipient of this imprecatory Psalm. Mm-hmm. That that Jesus Himself would be praying against His enemies, right? And, and it's so it's so helpful to have that as a lens to the whole Psalm. Yes. Rather than every single Psalm trying to figure out, okay, I'm doing my Simeon Trust worksheet. How in the world does this Psalm? Right. How does Jesus fill this? No, no, no. Step back. Jesus is the fulfillment of David, who fought against Israel's enemies through First yeah. and Second Samuel, yeah. who prayed and thanked God personally for salvation from all of Israel's, from all the people's enemies at the end of Second Samuel. And then all of the Psalms are messianic uh, songs, messianic expressions. Well, now every Psalm, every time I go into any Psalm, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that Christ has fulfilled David's office, that he is the king that we were waiting for all along. And by his life, he fulfilled it by his obedience. He fulfilled it. Uh, we we've talked. We, we've done. You know, we've talked about Simeon Trust often. We've been to Simeon Trust. One of the things they do is the pathway through preparation, and almost every time they do that instruction, they take us back to math to Luke twenty four, and it never. I, I it never gets old. I just wish I could do that session every week. You know, mm-hmm. which these things are online, by the way. But one of the things they talk about in interpreting. The whole Bible is Luke 24 when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and these guys don't recognize him. They don't understand that Jesus was supposed to die and suffer uh, and be crucified. And this is kind of getting into another way that Psalms uh, is fulfilled in Christ. But Jesus tells the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who they, they don't recognize Jesus, and he says to them in Luke 24, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, didn't you know that that was going to happen? And then Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is showing that Moses, the prophets, everything is uh, is concerning himself. Later in the same 
uh, chapter, he tells them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So now you have this double-edged fulfillment where you have passages like yours from this last week, like Psalm 22, uh, where David is, you know, quoting crucifix language that doesn't even exist yet, describing his experience and his suffering, and then Christ fulfills it by actually walking in it. it it's kind of like this, this, you know, suit of armor this robe that has been there that, that David sewn and David built and David put out there, but Jesus is the one who actually put it on. Jesus is the one who actually fulfilled. David sang it. He sang the songs, and he lived those hardships, and he really did, but he wasn't just talking. He was never only talking about himself. Right. That, and that's the point you brought up in Acts 2, you know, that, that Peter says— even when David wrote this, David wasn't talking about David. Right. Because David's dead. Right. The Psalms must be fulfilled. What David meant about himself and his own experience was Christological in nature all the way around. <coughs> right. That's so it's so it's just it's it's wonderful to get to the point where Christ you realize Christ is your salvation. Yeah. Christ is your forgiveness he is the fulfillment he he is the one whom god is happy with and that if yeah. you can get into christ by faith you can sing the psalms yeah so you let me can ask you read this. the psalms because they because you're in christ so person comes to you and says uh okay i get it so like psalm 34 you know Here's the promise to the righteous person. Jesus is that righteous person. That's who David is talking about. But then what about Psalm 51, where David has sinned, uh, Nathan comes to him and corrects him. You know, how, how is it that he can say things like, you know, he begins the psalm, have mercy on me, O God, according to this is after Nathan tells him of his sin and, and he's convicted. Mm -hmm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So a person comes to you and says, I mean, that's not Jesus. How did G Jesus didn't have sin? Right? David David's not praying like he was like he was Jesus. What would you how mm -hmm. would you respond to that person? Yeah, I think it's a good question because it, it doesn't mean that um you definitely like you're like you're pointing out. We can't say Jesus had sin, and so like David, he needed cleansing from his sin. And in this spot, might be a place where we see this is what you talked about earlier, where we saw David. David was never perfect. The, the The Psalms are never expressions of David's perfection. This is one of those Psalms that help us realize David wasn't the Christ. That that's what makes this Psalm tell us there's a need for Jesus Christ. David could never be the Messiah. He was never God's son. He wasn't perfect. We need someone else because even this king has to seek forgiveness. Even this king sins. And so in this passage, there's two things. One, Christ is the, the king, the, the overseer of the people of God, the head of the people of God who has no sin. But he's also at the same time the lamb. He, he is like the priest. Hebrews talks about who... 
He is the priest that we've always needed. But when he goes in to the throne in heaven, Hebrews says, he doesn't offer the blood of lamb or bulls or goats. He offers his own blood. And Jesus is the king who offers his own righteousness to his people. Jesus is the king who did not need any forgiveness. He, he provided forgiveness for David, right? The, the, the hyssop in, in Psalm 51 is the blood that is sprinkled uh, in the temple. Christ is the blood that forgives. It's his blood on the cross that forgives uh, sin. And we, we have in Christ someone who never had to have his spirit renewed, never had to have his joy in the Lord renewed, like, like David prays for in Psalm 51. Uh, he never has to do that. You know, so David is for us a wonderful example that we, uh, when we sin, God is there to cleanse us from sin. Um, but it's really, it, Psalm 51 is a helpful reminder that David's not the king. Yeah. And we need uh, blood forgiveness. We need the cross forgiveness for us. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I would answer that. I mean, I think there's other questions, too, when you start getting to Psalm chapter 119, and you start, I mean, it's just, it's not even about king stuff. It's not even about, uh, it's not always, always about justification for sin and forgiveness of sin. What is the word? Who is the word? And um, I think every passage is going to have its own interpretation like that. Right. Um, I, I would also say that... Um, it's not that there is a one-to-one correlation between David and Jesus. Because if there were a one-to-one correlation, then that would make either David the Savior or Jesus the sinner. So you can't really have a one-to-one correlation there, first of all. But what we're saying about the Psalms is that Jesus is the fulfillment of what David is talking about. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily Jesus is... Uh, David, you mm-hmm. know, reincarnate or something like that. Right. And so when David prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. We're not seeing Jesus as the sinner. We're seeing Jesus as the answer to that prayer. What, mm-hmm. what David is asking for, what David is recognizing, I don't have it. It's, I, I, is, sometimes I, I experience the, the blessings of obedience to the covenant and, and see your grace and your mercy, but I recognize that when it comes to fulfilling everything that's there, I don't have it. I sin, and I need you to blot out my transgression. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that, of the answer mm-hmm. to his prayer. It's, it's, it's as if God, responding to the office of, ki- of the king of Israel, says to David, I have something really great for you mm-hmm. uh, that's coming. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come from your line, and it's going to come on your. It's going to be on your throne. Uh, he's going to be. He's going to sit on your throne forever, uh, and he's going to be an answer to exactly what you're asking me for. Yeah, you know. And so, you're in every psalm, and and like what you just said, every psalm is requiring, and every passage really in the Old Testament is requiring a little bit 
you know, you'd have to kind of hold it up and kind of turn it this way and that to see where the light of Christ shines through it the clearest. But but in Psalm 51, you're, we're seeing it's really not that hard. We're, we're seeing right there the answer to the prayer is Jesus. I mean, the mm-hmm. answer to what David's asking for, that that's Jesus. And yep. so even when it comes to preaching Christ, we're reading Psalm 51 and going, see, David is recognizing he's fallen. And, mm-hmm. and really, that's what we're seeing in the whole Old Testament, isn't it? Is, is Adam and Eve fall in Genesis 3, and it's like the rest of the Old Testament is going, uh, okay, let's play out the experiment of what happens when humanity rebels against God. And mm-hmm. let's just see. Here's, mm-hmm. here's a, here is just a, a snippet of what righteousness would look like in the law. Just a just mm-hmm. a little taste of what mm-hmm. the tiniest, you know, don't murder, right? <laughs> don't mm-hmm. commit adultery. Let's just put yeah. those two commands out there and just this is training wheels for what righteousness actually looks like. Mm-hmm. And for the entire Old Testament, we see just collapse after collapse after collapse. And every time we get promise, aspiration, we get hope. We get Solomon coming in and building the temple and decorating it like the Garden of Eden and like, hey, we've entered into, you know, back into the garden. Come with me. This is going to be awesome. And Solomon fails spectacularly, right? Mm -hmm. So like we just, we get, it's like this just experiment of what happens for, you know, 1500 years uh, or or 1500 years of, of law you know, in light of the fall. That, that's what it looks like. And then Jesus comes in and goes, not only don't murder, I'm talking about don't even get angry in your heart. I, mm-hmm. Forget don't commit adultery. I'm talking don't even lust in your heart. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually depict what God's righteousness actually looks like. Your righteousness mm-hmm. has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Which yeah, is not they, meaning like their hypocrisy or anything like that. Their legitimate obedience to the law. It's got to exceed that. And that's what I'm going to do, right? Is Yeah, is, the place where Jesus exceeds David is not just in the expression of the psalm, but in that he never looked at a woman with lust. Right. And if you go back to Second Samuel 12 where David commits that sin, God never even says explicitly that he was angry at David because he broke a rule. Right of lust or murder or adultery doesn't even say it explicitly, and he doesn't even confess those things explicitly. But God is upset at him because of his greediness in his heart. Would I have not given you much more, David? Did I not already give you the wives and the kingdom of your father of Saul, or not your father, but of the kingdom of Saul? And and you had to go take this one man's bride for yourself like who are you david yeah the kingdom's not enough for you david you have to go into sin and so you get you get christ in the the desert in matthew 4 where he has the kingdom yeah the kingdom is here and christ is the king of the kingdom and satan says well but do you have this yeah what, what about this too yeah. and, and I'll, I'll i'll give you all of this if you be, if you bow down and worship me and jesus won't do it right so it's like jesus is what david Never was, but right? inspired to Je- be. David Maybe is the one. I mean, what David is saying in Psalm fifty-one is that he needs Jesus. Yeah, he needs yeah. the King Jesus because he's yeah. not 
Jesus the king. He he needs him himself. Yeah. And that's an example for the rest of us so that we step in and go, well, we're, yeah, you want to be David? Yeah, you you actually are David in this passage. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are so desperate for a, a good king who actually can save you from your sin before God. Yeah, you're like David this time in the in the sinfulness. Um so yeah, it it's um do, do you find though that as you're going through the psalms is it is it that different every week? Like is every single psalm like this amazingly difficult to find interpretation of the fulfillment of Christ in this passage? Or once you kind of get the hang of it, you can read through the psalms and go, yeah, I see how this is working itself out in every every psalm. Um, it, it a little above. I mean, it, it's there are some that's some psalms or you know passages or things like that 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 are maybe a little bit more difficult that take a good deal of thought. Like, what is David getting at? What is he saying? What is he mm-hmm. expressing here? Um. You know that kind of thing. I think the imprecatory psalms are are uniquely difficult and challenging in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there is a bit of a rhythm to it, where you can begin to see how Christ is uh, all that David ever ever could possibly ever aspire to be, and um, and and I think um, it's it becomes the real challenge of the reader and the real, I think the real blessing that comes, that's what I should say. The blessing that comes from reading the Psalms is in that thought and work. Um, what is David saying here? First of all, in the imprecatory Psalms, which I'm getting prepared to preach, you know, Psalm 35, he, he's, I mean, he says, draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Um, uh, mm-hmm. You know, take a take hold of your shield and buckler and rise for my help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fight against those who fight against me. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Um, you know, those can be challenging on the on the front because uh, you know David is is praying a, a prayer against all of his enemies, and then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, uh, "Bless those who curse you." Mm-hmm. Um, pray for those who persecute you, and which is what David. I mean, David exemplified that in his relationship with Saul. Yeah, you know, he, he right, didn't. Yeah, he didn't. So in, he in had that opportunities in that sense, there is a there is David living out the values of the kingdom, right? Against, right. With Saul, and here, I think we're we're all, we're seeing in some of these imprecatory, like Psalm thirty five, is, I mean, essentially how things are going to shake out. Mm -hmm. So we were, when we, when the Bible says, when the new Testament says we were enemies of God Mm -hmm. and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we are the recipients of the, the answer to that prayer Mm -hmm. to the imprecatory Psalms. So Mm -hmm. when we, when we read those imprecatory Psalms, it's, Hey, I was, I would have been, but for Christ, I would have been the recipient of that prayer, mm-hmm. the answer to that prayer. I would have had the javelin run through me. Mm-hmm. I would have had God chase me down. 
And so really, I think what's playing out in front of us is the salvation that is ours in Christ alone Yeah, that could yeah. change us from the recipient of the answer to that prayer, the imprecatory psalm, now to a friend of God instead mm-hmm. of an enemy. And then it's also... So when you, to put that in terms of like, you're not David, you're not just not David. You're not Saul. You're not even an Israelite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you're a Philistine in, in that story, right? Yeah. You're the on the side of the imprecatory prayers. You're not the people of God in your sinfulness, right? Until you come to Christ, you are in the kingdom of darkness and have not yet been transferred to the kingdom of right. the beloved Son. Right. The, so the shield and a, buckler, a, a kingly kind of title. The shield and buckler, the spear and javelin that David is praying God will take up. He's praying mm-hmm. He'll take it up against you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when you see when the Bible says. You were an enemy of God. That's what it means. You are a recipient of his wrath. Mm-hmm. But for Christ, who made you a friend of God, which is a radical transformation, mm-hmm. you're not on the outside of the kingdom about to receive the javelin. You are, and you're not only on the inside of the kingdom. You're mm-hmm. sitting at his table receiving his food, mm-hmm. which is the transition there is astounding. But mm-hmm. then it also is a is a warning, right? It has to be seen as a warning. Like let's play out how does how does God answer the prayer of of his king? Well, this thing this scene is gonna play out in the judgment that Christ will bring. There will be recipients of the Lord's spear and javelin. There will be those who uh, receive his wrath, his condemnation, who are put to shame and dishonor, who uh, who are like the chaff before the wind, are mm-hmm. driven out. Mm-hmm. And he even says in verse 5, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Mm-hmm. Right? So there, it's a warning, too, of saying, do not be an enemy of God. Mm-hmm. This prayer will be answered ultimately, and it will yeah. be answered by Christ himself, mm-hmm. driving away the chaff. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's. I think it's a both, it's a twofold kind of approach, and I think each imprecatory psalm has a little bit different nuance to it, but that's the general direction, mm-hmm. and that I'll be heading this week, but that's the general, you know, kind of trajectory of it, I think. Yeah, which just, I think, releases a lot of the tension when you open up. I mean, there's there's a lot of psalms. There's like two verses that are like, praise God, his love endures forever. And you're like, oh, this is that psalm I need. And then three verses later, you realize this is an impregatory psalm. <laughs> this is actually David praising God that his enemies are being crushed again. And you're like, okay, well, teeth um, are being broken. I'm, I'm either going to take those first two verses out of context or I'm going to have to f- figure out how to actually use the whole psalm here because right. um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But that, yeah. th- that, it's so helpful that the gospel f- to us first is, for if while we were enemies, yeah. Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, yeah. how much more, now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Oh, man. I mean, we... 
once we get to that place where we realize instead of thinking I'm okay, my enemies, I'm okay because I'm me. Yeah. And I'm God's child. And I'm up in the church. And I'm, I'm just, I'm fine. There's nothing really wrong with me. I've got enemies. That's my big problem. Right. And then you go to the imprecatory Psalms and you go, this, it doesn't feel right. There's a tension there. There's a gospel conscience that goes, wait a second. This, this isn't, this doesn't click upon first reading. And it's because it's because we begin with our goodness. We're David. We're er, 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 and, and we don't realize no actually we yeah, we need Christ for us. Yeah. yeah. We need Christ for us first. So yeah. it releases the tension of how do we even read the Psalms? Yeah. You know what do they even how do we even how do I pick pick one up to sing any of them? So you know? I want to ask you a question cuz I I feel like this is getting close to a, a slightly it may feel like a slightly different topic at first. There are a host of people um, who read the Bible and have been taught to read the Bible and told to read the Bible as an instruction manual for life. Mm-hmm. You've heard this, I'm sure. Yeah. Is that true? Is that the way we should read the Bible? Uh, is that helpful? Or should that be amended or corrected? And I'm not trying to lead you one way or the other. I'm just, I'm really asking. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you can't. The way the question is posed is this the instructional book for life. You can't say no. Um, Paul says in First Tim or Second Timothy three, all Scripture is breathed out by God, uh, and is profitable for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may may be adequately equipped. Paul was specifically think, speaking to Timothy about the Old Testament Scriptures. Uh, you, you have everything you need to live in righteousness in God's Word. So it is sufficient. The, the Word is complete. It's not lacking. You have everything you need in the revelation of God's Word to live a righteous life. To, no one gets to go to God and say, well, I mean, it's a good book, but if it wouldn't have had how those pages that got you know, left out, we could have really lived for God here. No, it is, by its own testimony, perfect, whole, complete, to live in righteousness. So the question can't be no, or you say something about Scripture that Scripture doesn't say about Scripture, right? But if, you're, if your simple answer is, yeah, yeah, this is instruction book for life, mm-hmm. and, and you just read it kind of like, an, like every single genre— Every single book, every single passage functions like it's all one connected, you know, list, you know, multiple pages of Ikea instructions. Right. Starting with Genesis, do this, then this, then this, then this. Now turn to page 15 and grab these tools and turns to page, grab, you know, grab part A, grab board D and grab screw two. And that the entire thing works like that. Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Right. It doesn't all work like that. Right. Uh, instead, what you find on page, you know, four hundred and fifty-seven in the Psalms or in Second Samuel is look forward to the second part of the instruction manual. Now see Christ. And let the apostles tell you about Christ. And now go back and read the first part of the instruction manual, understanding Christ has already put this whole thing together. Yeah. Christ has already built it. Yeah. Christ is it, and so the way that you do it. The way that you get into any of it 
the way that you get back into the garden from Genesis 3 problem, uh, the way that you come into the land, which is a foreshadowing of heaven itself, the way, the way, the way that you get any of it at all is Christ, yeah. It, yeah. is Jesus Christ. And yeah, so it, if you're in, in the sense that, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a manual for how we should live, it's absolutely true. But if it be any, at any point it becomes a manual for living outside of Christ being our righteousness and our justification before God, outside of Christ having gone first into uh, righteous living and fulfilling what Adam and us never could, then it is moralism yeah. in its function right. every single time. Now, right. can you go back to David and pick up 1 Samuel 17 and go, David is an example of faith. We should have faith when we face our giants. Yes, you can. Sure. Absolutely. That's what we should all be doing. That's what da- that's what that's what Saul should have been doing. That's what all the Israelites who were too afraid. That's what they should have been doing. But if we just read it and go, well, this is an instruction for life. We need to be like David. That's moralism. Yeah. And it leaves us damned to our own sin. Yeah. So one of the ways, one of the passages I've enjoyed a lot this year is Ephesians chapter one. Uh, where where Paul is connecting together who Christ is and and uh, where Christ is in all of time and in history, and Paul says God has made known to us the mystery of His own will, according to His purpose which God put forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's Paul's way in Ephesians of saying there's not a space, there's not a time that is not picked up and connected and tethered to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Not past, present, or future, not in heaven, not in earth, but God's will and his purpose is all set forth in Christ, which is the fullness of all time and all place. So th- there is no part of the Bible, there's no story of the Bible, there's not a, a comma in the Bible that doesn't have Christ as ex- exclamation and its fulfillment. Right. So, yeah, it's instructional in that it, it instructs us towards Christ. Yeah. Right? David is very instructional. You're a sinner. You're not like David. David needs Christ. You need Christ. So it's instructional in that way first every time. And then after that, we begin to learn lessons. About well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, what does it mean to trust in Christ? Uh, what what do I do today at work? How do I parent my children? Um, it becomes very instructional in all of those ways, but not first, not until it's Christological. I think too, I would I would say that what the New Testament even is helping us understand what the well, really the whole Bible, but what the the Old Testament has borne out. What the New Testament, especially Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, helps us to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt is that Scripture is instructional, sure, but it's an instruction manual that will tell the average person how to build a rocket and send it to a planet 18 light years away. Yeah. Where you're like, ah, 
I mean, so you get to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is saying, not only does your righteousness need to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, after he makes comment after comment on the law, I'm not talking about murder. I'm talking about anger. I'm not talking about adultery. I'm talking about lust. I'm not talking about, so he digs everything into the heart level, amplifies the law, uh, causes your righteousness to have to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees to ever enter the heaven. He concludes that run in 48 by saying, therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So he's elevated the instruction manual to, you've been reading it this way, but I'm saying you need to read it as your heavenly father is perfect. You need to mm-hmm. read it with that level of righteousness. This is the kind of instruction manual that it is. At which point, everybody listening to that has to go, I can't build a rocket. Yeah. I can not I can barely put a basketball goal together in my driveway, mm-hmm. right? That was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to put together. <laughs> that's <laughs> and, your example? Yes. It's that's exa- your peak? That is my, that's my, I tap out. <laughs> There at the basketball goal, I I'm telling you, I sat out there, I sweated buckets in my driveway trying to put this blasted basketball to goal together. Just finally just got an a, aside. This is giving me a lot less confidence in this brisket that's coming up. Dude, July 4th, this brisket's man. gonna rock. Okay, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's gonna uh, the not to cross boy. metaphors here, but I'm yes. just saying, I. I no, I'm it's, expecting big things. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to text you pictures. I'll be sure. <laughs> um, so, but no, so like that's the hardest thing I've ever had to put together. And yeah. I'm out there doing it by myself. I'm having to balance things. I'm having to do this. And I installed something backwards and it's like going back to the instruction manual and you're like, you know, it's got to be perfect. So it's got to be, you got to flip it back around or it won't work. And you do all this mm-hmm. and you finally got the handle right and all this. I mean, it took me all day. And, you know, and I think if you're reading the Bible like an instruction manual, like, I can actually do this, which is kind of what you're saying. I, I Okay, I can do this. And you don't ever get to, no, but you can't. You cannot fulfill this. It's mm-hmm. impossible for you to fulfill this. This instruction manual is beyond anything you're capable of. It's only then that you realize, wait. Jesus then built the rocket, sent it 18 years, light years away to the, to the planet, or whatever the illustration is. He, he's the one that actually not only completed the, the instruction manual com- fully, mm-hmm. but exceeded it, whereas the instruction manual is, is helping you see you can't even do this. And Jesus is, you can't even build the basketball goal. And mm-hmm. Jesus is going to build a rocket and fly it away. I mean, you know, it, 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 he's exceeding all of those those things to the the righteousness of God Himself, mm-hmm. and that kind of standard. And uh, and so when we read it, yes, it's an instruction manual for life. But we can we I can't complete it. Only Christ can. But then, once I understand it that way, and once I see that Christ has died for me and given me his righteousness, but not only given me his righteousness, also given me of his spirit. He now empowers me by his spirit to actually please God so that, there, so that daily I can actually live in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. So mm-hmm. the instruction manual, you can say, look, you are empowered by the spirit's work in you 
to obey here, to do mm. this, and to actually work for. But but it's not accomplishing righteousness for you. It is mm. pleasing to the Lord. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a you have you flip it right like mm-hmm. it's a, and so I think that's the important. I think the Sermon on the Mount is just is so pivotal to really the entire Bible and and grasping what what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too we could the another place to take the instructional for life kind of metaphor is that in Christ we are actually renewed in Christ. Yeah. We're actually freed from the slavery of sin, like in the Exodus. Uh, we are, you know, uh, David prays in Psalm 51 for God to give him a new heart. He actually prays that God would create in him a new heart, that he uses the word from Genesis 1, that God would create something new in him. Yeah. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, we have that passage that we all know so well, that we are saved by grace through faith so that no one, not as a result of our works, so that no one may boast. And then Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship created yeah. in Christ Jesus for good works, yeah. which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So David prayed it. The prophets tell you it's coming. Mm-hmm. And then Paul tells you, here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we're So there is on the other side of Christ... And justification in him and having his spirit and being made a new creation, being born again. On the other side of that, the Bible becomes instructional. Right. To everyday yeah. living. Yeah. So you can't you can go back to David and go, right. Man, we should have faith like that. Right. Well, yeah, but we should we should have faith like Christ had faith. We should have perfection like Christ had perfection and David couldn't. Right. And, and Moses. Yeah. Moses didn't even get in the promised land. I mean, think about that. Right. Moses didn't even get in his own promised land. Right. I mean, we, it, only Christ is the one who's perfect for us. And so our the Bible is instructional in getting us to Christ as our justification and then helping us exemplify. And so that yeah. what, is good in, what is good in David, we go, oh, man, praise God, David was giving us a good example of the kind of Messiah we should be looking for. Well, and and David is saying to us, "Here's what here's what it means to fear the Lord." He's instructing mm-hmm. us on what where we need to repent. Keep your tongue mm-hmm. from evil, your lips from seeking deceit. Have you ever lied? Mm-hmm. Uh, turn away from evil and do good. Have you ever done? Have you ever sinned? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> seek peace. Have you ever sought uh, chaos, gossip, mm-hmm. slander, all those things that stir up controversy and strife? Have you ever done that? He says, mm-hmm. turn away from evil and do good, seek peace. So he's he's telling us, yes, this is what it, it looks like to fear the Lord. You repent of those things and instead pursue righteousness. So he is setting us an instruction manual in some sense. Here it is. This is what it looks like. This is what it actually this is what it actually is. But you have to understand at the same time, my um my own faithfulness to the Lord is going to ebb and flow. It's going to, it, it, I'm going to have moments where I am seeking peace. I am pursuing it in spite of what maybe people are doing evil to me and I'm I'm praying for those who persecute me and I'm, I'm doing those things. And I'm gonna have moments like that and then I'm gonna have moments where I fall into immaturity and you know all those things. Your righteousness is not contingent on your ability to keep this. 
Your mm-hmm. righteousness is contingent on your inclusion in Christ, on mm-hmm. your association with him, who mm-hmm. is the only one who kept that perfectly. So it does instruct us on what righteousness looks like, mm-hmm. but it should also tell us, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Christ did it. So while yeah, pursuing Paul, righteousness Paul that in way his about, way, yeah, lean Paul on talks Christ. that way about the law in Romans, right? That it, it's because of the law that I know that I'm a sinner. Yes, the, the law doesn't help me. The, one of the best illustrations I think I've ever come up with, if you, if I could say it, was that the law is functioning not so much like a speed limit sign that says 55 speed limit, don't go any faster than that. You know, and you're good as long as you obey. No, the law is actually one of those, um, you know, those those signs that are digital that are reading your speed and telling you that you're going faster than the speed limit. Yeah. It's telling you that you have a problem already. Yeah. You're already breaking the law. Yeah. Speed limit's 55. You're going 65. See the problem? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what the law's doing. It's telling us yeah. that we can't that we can't do it. And that's the, it tells us that the whole of scripture tells us that first. Yeah. You know, Genesis, that's the problem with all mankind. We can't do it. We're all like Adam. We can't do it. Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't yeah. do it. The people couldn't do it. The, the, the whole ministry, the prophets, Israel, y'all can't do it. You didn't do it. No one can do it. Yeah. Only Christ can do it. I'm, re, I'm and, preaching and Proverbs. And the Old Testament this. tells us that for 1,500 years, basically. Yeah. It's like, yeah. here it is. Yeah, I'm, re, I'm doing Proverbs this summer, and you know, as we're talking, it's just making me think about the—, the uh, I've talked a lot about this with our associate pastor, how Proverbs is a father-son conversation. And, you know, my passage this week, Proverbs 2, just starts, my son, if you receive my words. Well, the first thing we want to do is, it's so easy to go, fathers, you need to talk to your sons. Sons, you need to listen to your fathers. Well, that's true. But if you put the burden of everything that's in Proverbs 2 on your son to go out and do perfectly, to keep himself from trouble and bad life and bad people and hardship and suffering— I was going to last about five minutes. Right. When when you when I hear those words, my son, which show up over and over and over through the first nine chapters, we ought to be thinking first about Christ in whom are hidden all the tre- the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, being the faithful son to the Father. Mm-hmm. And everything we learn about wisdom, we ultimately learn in him. And our wisdom, our walking in wisdom, is never our own righteousness for God. It's mm-hmm. never the thing that keeps us out of trouble first. Uh, Christ is the Son who wisely feared the Lord, and led, which led him even to the cross uh, for us. And so that Proverbs then becomes, well, isn't it great that we have a, a Son to the Father for us? Mm-hmm. And now my walking in Proverbs is simply thankfulness and joy and enjoying what God has given me on the earth, walking in God's blessing, knowing that I'm actually doing that in Christ, pursuing yeah. it in Christ, who is the perfect son. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to take wrong steps. I'm going to do unwise things. Praise God for Christ, who is never unwise, who is never unrighteous, who never never went down the wrong path, never got in, the, in a bad way with the wrong people. Never, never caught himself in temptation to sin and woke up one day and realized, wow, I'm gone. I've, I've yeah. left the Father. I've walked away. He never did that. Right. And, and God can look at us. Through our faith in Christ, God looks at us with that favor. 
and that approval and, and, and that pleasure that here's a son who is not wayward. Here's a, here's a, here's a David who didn't go after Bathsheba. Yeah. Here, here's, a, here's a king, here's an Israelite who, who wasn't afraid. Yeah. Well, that's what we have in Christ yeah. uh, through so let faith. Me, let me ask you this then. When we, uh, this, this leads me in application to think immediately of parenting, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what is the purpose of the law we lay down before our children? We lay a law down in our own homes. Don't do this, do this, don't do that. And we punish as a response to disobedience to the law that we have as parents and we're instructed to do that we should do that mm-hmm. but what is the ultimate purpose of that law that we lay down how is it that we lay that law down and point our kids to the gospel mm-hmm. right yeah you know a, like a I think, pharisee way to understand it would be i tell my kids what to do so that they will go do it and be good kids right the gospel use of parenting is I teach my kids to walk in righteousness, to understand God's way, to understand where God's favor is, but ultimately expect that my instruction will re- help reveal to them that they are sinful. That's exactly it. My law in the home is supposed to reveal their sinfulness, which mm-hmm. is something I forget all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I think my I told him to do this, and he didn't do it. Or I told her to, you know, do whatever it is, and she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I forget so often that my law is meant to be broken so that it reveals to them their sin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're instructed to obey me mm-hmm. by the scriptures. And when my law, or when the law that I lay down, which is hopefully a God-given kind of in God-inspired law, right, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm actually requiring of them righteous behavior. Mm-hmm. Disobedience in the home is sort of like a safe little pin, you know. Uh, not, it's not, they're not murdering anybody. They're, they're right. you know, they were instructed to clean their room and they didn't do it, you know. Right. But, but it's, a, it's a safe little pin where when they infringe upon the law, I can come in as a parent and say, See, that's what I'm talking about. Our mm-hmm. hearts are broken. You mm-hmm. don't want, you didn't obey me because you don't want to obey me mm-hmm. because you're born in sin, and mm-hmm. so am I. Mm-hmm. And here's what the law teaches us is that we need Christ. Mm-hmm. So even I think as we get down to the parenting level, we should we should be able to apply the Psalms or the Proverbs or the you know the Old Testament in the way that it re- reveals the gospel and reveals our sin. Mm-hmm. We should be able to apply that directly to our parenting. Is our parenting, is the law that we lay down in our home re- helping us to teach our kids their need for the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and our yeah. our spouses, what we yeah. expect for them, what it means to be in love with them and to be in covenant with them, to friends, to church members. And we, we get in this world, and uh, I don't recommend the book, but Blue Like Jazz, I remember talking about 
you know, the, the problem of us seeing ourselves as the center of the world and everyone else around us are just kind of players on the theater of, of our kind of lives. And right. we kind of judge everyone based on how they're treating us and right. uh, how they're, are they playing their parts in my life? Are they playing their part? Are they behaving in a way that helps me and serves me and keeps me from too much frustration, et cetera, et cetera. And I judge them on yes or no based on that. Yeah. Rather than realizing in all of my relationships, I'm going to experience people experiencing their own not being Christ Yeah, <laughs> all yeah. the time. Absolutely. And there's not a place I'm going to go where I don't have to extend forgiveness and yeah. patience and, and then realize, you know what's happening? I'm actually showing my own sin in my relationship to everyone yeah. else too. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually not David in my own home. Yeah. I'm not Christ. I need Christ. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.